This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 318 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's Thursday night, Dynamite, on the No Encore Show. Sorry, joined yes. with Craig. Craig Patrick is here, but Adam Shanahan is also on the call. Sonic Architect Adam. But he's in another country, Craig. This is just getting out of hand now with his continuing exoticism, you could say. It's a choice prize, another country. He was yeah. gigging last week. You know, it's unbelievable. He's just rubbing our face in the now at this stage. He's a high flyer. He's a jet setter. He's um, now in the land of Scandi Pop. And he's looking well. He looks very happy. He looks happier than us, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need to move um, to Holiday Denmark, where good. he currently Hol- is. Holiday will be good. I think you're taking one soon, possibly. So, Yeah, I'm know. off next week. I've got nothing booked. Do you know what? I actually, I was looking last weekend because I got it into my head that I really need some like decent sunshine, which kind of came to us, but I was working anyway, so it hasn't really helped. But like... I was looking at places across Europe for the next two weeks and like the the long forecast and it was just like rain everywhere. And I was like, well, <laughs> what if I went to like the Canaries or like somewhere just like that I would never go to just to get the sun? It was like, no, no, <laughs> it's going to be freezing and raining. So I can't escape the rain except in my own country where I can't I think, enjoy the sun. Uh, you you so, served me up too, too much here. I was going to say the long forecast sounds like a beautiful late night BBC two, BBC two show. The long um, forecast. But then you said can't escape the rain, which sounds like a fucking like Shade song or something, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> Should be writing good. these down. Um, Well, we'll pivot to a different kind of song this week because it's top five game-changing pop songs. That's our main event this week. In honour of the return to our album review, Charlie XCX is back with a record called Crash. We're going to review it. First time in a while we've done this. The top five was Craig's decision. And uh, do you stand by, Craig, do you, after the week that was? 
I wholeheartedly do. Um, I got into a weird pocket with this one where I'm in a kind of specific era for a good bit of it. There was a lot of options. Um, and what were we going for, Dave? I suppose, yeah, it was honor of um, in honor of Charlie XEX being... I guess a leading proponent of hyperpop and switching the game up while still being popular. So game-changing pop is those moments where, um, I guess, boundaries are pushed. Um, the narrative is changed, but in the spotlight on the biggest stage possible and just kind of like music has somehow changed irrevocably after that point. Um, did you find it easy to select your picks? Did you Was it a kind of type brief or were you kind of, was it a bit... Wide open, because it could have been taken in a few different ways, I suppose. Tight brief, I would say. Um, yeah. The picks kind of announced themselves, thankfully, because it was tricky. It's a tricky subject. How do you define it? People could argue. I think the five I've chosen kind of have five different strands of this. I've even okay. given them all little subheadings, as if they were characters in a fucking Guy Ritchie movie or something. So, But we'll get there. That's later in the show. Speaking of shows, um, bumper week for the podcast in terms of there's a brand new No Popcorn out now. That is, of course, if you're unfamiliar, our movies and music sidebar that we do. Usually we'll take a film that has a musical connection, like Rockstar, starring Mark Wahlberg, if that's your kind of thing. That episode's out a few months ago. Um, what we did was, myself and David Higgins and Norma Howard uh, convened there about a week ago, for a 164-minute episode of No Popcorn. David Tapley, Sonic Architect, thank you so much for suffering through that. And you, listener, if you have. It's out now in your feed. came out on Wednesday. Uh, it's the best and worst of 2021 in terms of what was at the movies. Not just necessarily music-related. We kind of go through all kinds of different things. There's, like, the John Travolta Award for the most curious failure of a performance. <laughs> There's the best needle drop in a film. There's the... Uh, I hated, hated, hated this movie award. There's the Nobody Needed This Movie Award. And as we always get into the weeds on this one, there are two different awards. So there's lots of stuff there. We go through it. There's audio clips. We even reviewed the Batman movie. So Oh, you know. I, I went to the cinema, Dave. Did you? I saw the Batman. Yeah. Unbelievable. Tell me everything. So you have to understand, listener, uh, if you somehow don't know this, Craig is very... Um, Selective. I'm banned with, from every cinema in town. That's true, yeah, with a cinema <laughs> yeah, you know. uh, trip. So tell me everything, man. Where did you go? Who did you go with? It was in Two year, Valley. as Adam says. Um, my sister joined me. We decided, yeah, it's, it's probably time to see a Batman film. It was, again, it was like, it was last Sunday, so it was extremely sunny. And I had that pang of guilt of like a day movie where it's like, you know, a rare kind of sunny day I should be out and about I'm going to sit in the cinema and like go to Gotham where it was just raining non-stop but I'm glad I did I mean it's 6 out of 10 I would say I liked Pattinson uh, no spoilers of course but I don't know I just feel like we're at a point where I, I, I think he was very good he was a very good Batman but Batman is kind of becoming irrelevant to like what they're trying to do at this point do you know what I mean like the more they keep pushing like say say Joker the film and now The Batman it's kind of like these films once upon a time would have just been like crime thrillers that didn't have superheroes in it but now you can't get a budget <laughs> unless you've got like Marvel characters or DC characters in them um, so it was like do we really need the costume do you know like this has gone in a very uh, heavy unexpected way yeah 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 I mean can't escape the rain for sure but I think ultimately uh, I wasn't expecting this level of critical resolve, you know. Um, it didn't provoke a lot in me, you see. I just thought it was fine. I kind of want to see it again, but I kind of don't. It's very long, let's be honest about it. Colin it Farrell was great. Good. 
Colin Farrell was great. But also, again, you know, Colin Farrell was brilliant, but I always wonder with those kind of roles, like, how does he get that role? Is he just taking the role of someone that's like, that would look like that, or that is less of a kind of oh, handsome you're doing, Colin Farrell type man? Do you know what I mean? You're doing the thing. All this kind you're of Colin Farrell, thing Jared Leto thing of just like, I'm going to completely transform. <laughs> how, do, how do they end up in that position? I mean, this isn't like a new thing. I mean, actors often do the transformative thing. But yeah, but what, what you're basically saying is, and I think I make this point on No Popcorn, like I, like I said, like there are people out there who are getting upset because they're like, you know, hey, ugly, big actors need work too. And it's like, Jesus, it's like, <laughs> like, like that's more offensive, I think, to try and like say that there's a category of like misshapen. Yeah, I mean, I, like, yeah, I agree. Acting is acting. But I do, I do always just wonder how exactly he becomes considered for the role. Do you know what I mean? At what point is it just like him putting himself forward? Or is it like, it's clearly a studio being like, we've got Colin Farrell on the books and could he maybe do something? I don't know. Maybe, but I think he was like committed. He was great. I mean, he did he a great fantastic. job. Yeah, he did. Um, he was the best thing about it. Um, <laughs> he was the best thing about it. What else was good about it? Hold on, let me think. Of, did uh, you like, like the Nirvana I, needle drops, did you? Yeah, I did actually. <laughs> I, thought I, <laughs> I thought it actually worked kind of well because that little riff, after a certain amount of time, it just started reminding me of, like it's very similar to um, the Darth Vader music, like the what Imperial March or... Yeah, it's very yeah. close to that. Um, and I thought it kind of worked in that way. I did like grunge Batman. Because it's not really emo Batman, you know. It's got Nirvana. Grunge it's grunge man. Batman. It's grunge yeah. man. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm glad I went to see it. You know, day out for Craig. That's good. Uh, my cinema ticket cost me 17 euro. How much did yours cost you? I think it was like 12 quid or something like that. That's a bit better, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Five, Five euro for quid Adam. for, of course. Yeah, he knows the tricks, though. This is the thing. Okay, look, it's a music podcast, though, isn't it? But if you want to hear more about movies, uh, no, Popcorn, uh, now, on this feed. Really good episode, I think. Um, Enjoyed recording it, because obviously it went fucking three hours. So, you know, go check it out. Um, And also check out, after this episode comes out, there's a new Before the Encore coming, which, of course, is Adam Shanahan, Sonic Architect Adam, sits down with somebody from the music industry in Ireland. It could be anybody. They could do anything, as long as it's behind the scenes to a degree, you know, interesting backstory. Um, you should point out it's not a Tommy Tiernan style thing where they just rock up to the studio <laughs> and Adam's like, oh, hello. No, it's not like, yeah. it's not fucking Stephen Nolan interviewing Graham Linehan or anything. It's a, it's a warm environment with good people yes. who have nice things to say about things. Occasionally controversial stuff, maybe. Um, and if you get someone like Zara Hedman in there, for example, friend of the show. She'd never Arch, do it. Arch ace journalist uh, to the stars, writer for many publications, Telly Dublin, The Quiet, is Loud and Quiet, The Irish Times, you fucking name it. There's more of them. Um, frequent contributor to this show and RT Arena, lots of other places. Craig is right. She'd never do it. And that's why the episode with Zara Hederman before the encore will be out on Monday. And I hope everyone enjoys that. Um, I know I did. Got a sneak preview of it. But I get a sneak preview of it all the time when I hang out with Zara. This is for you, listener, to get to know her better. Hear what she's got to say about music it's journalism. Be my weekend about my... breaking into that thing, about going freelance. Uh, her thoughts on, you know, I, I thought she had some really interesting thoughts about kind of like what exactly it was that made her want to be a music journalist. You know, the, the specific moment thereof. Because it got me thinking about my own moment. And I don't quite know if I have a definitive one. So I'm going to think on that. And okay. I think that the listener should reflect on it as well. And that episode comes out after this one. But <laughs> this they're not a music journalist? Do they but still have to reflect on why they became a music journalist? But it could be like, 
It, it could be that road to Damascus moment in any career or any kind of life yes. yeah. event that you have. It could be going to the cinema more than twice a year, Craig, you know? It could be that. You never know. Has this it been twice? Year. So far Did this you, year, yeah. It's, it's been twice, yeah. You Licorice went to Licorice Pizza, Pizza as well, yeah, 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 Batman. Yeah. Okay, so that's it. We're no officially more. open for business. No, I'm going to go back. I, do you <laughs> okay. know what? I'm going to go back to the cinema. What do I okay. want to see? What should I see, Dave? Recommend well, me something. We're already 10 minutes in, in, in this preamble. <laughs> let's, do just, let's, let's do some news. Let's talk news. about music news, yeah. Hey, you heard about the good news? So a uh, big fan of the headline here that Craig has selected, because Craig did the news section this week. Thank you, Craig. Craig's headline wow. for this first news story that I will read is uh, Arcade Fire releasing new music, band member instantly leaves. And to tell us more, it's Craig Fitzpatrick. Yeah, and it's a butler leaving. It's Will Butler. Um, when I initially read the headline, I was like, Win Butler has left Arcade Fire? That might I just think, be curtains for them. I think everyone did, because people, uh, three people sent me this in shock. I saw people on Twitter being like, what, I can't believe it. And I was like, you do realise that it's not the frontman of the band, right? Not to be disparaging to Will Butler, but... It wasn't, I think people got excited and didn't quite realise who he was for about an hour or something. So that's just yeah. my, that's my hot take on the, on the devastating news. I mean, Will Butler on stage kind of bangs a lot of stuff, doesn't he? He like is very, he's a big stage presence, um, energetic man, multi-instrumentalist. I mean, he's played a lot of very different things on a lot of different tracks throughout the years, but I guess because he's flitting between things, he doesn't have that defined studio presence maybe for people. So they're a bit like, eh, I'm sure it'll be grand. Um, I just kind of picked it out because I felt like it was a little strange, just in terms of timing and in terms of announcement where... Is the song that bad? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Uh, the Lightning One Two is the name of the song. We got the video, and it's them back in Springsteen mode. Have you heard the song? No, I haven't. Um, There's a switch up. It's it, it starts off with um, a very spri- uh, like a killer's doing Springsteen thing. So much so that I was like, "This is the kind of tune that it, like if you'd be excited if Brandon Flowers was about to start singing over it, and then Win Butler starts singing over it, and you're kind of like, I'm 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 done. Well, I was done." I'm sure a lot of people weren't done. Did you but, make it um, through the whole song or did you turn it off? Yeah, I did. And I think part two works a bit differently because there's a switch up. Um, it's them kind of back in epic mode, kind of. Um, I don't know. I just worry about this new album as well. It's called We, all caps. And um, <laughs> have you seen the, the statement that Win, not Will Butler put out about the, the new record? Um, I just saw his Twitter thread in which he kind of was saying like, you know, uh, ever, they're still my friends and family. It's all good. Um, did he just say that he wanted to do his own thing? Or oh, sorry. He... Yeah. So Will Butler. Yeah. He, sorry. Yeah. We should oh, sorry, stick to sorry. that thread. Oh, did, did I just confuse? I did it, didn't I? I've, I've, I've been hoisted <laughs> by my own petard here. Fuck. Okay. Yeah, great. Well, Will, Will, as he's walking out, said, hi friends, I've left Arcade Fire. I left at the end of last year, which was the pit, bit that I was just like, would the band not announce it? After the new record was complete, so he was involved in this, he said, there's no acute reason beyond that I've changed and the band has changed over the last almost 20 years. Time for new things. And there was follow-up tweets and he said, you know, he thanked people for coming to the show, the crew, staff, all that stuff. And he said that the band are still my friends and family. So he's still related to Win. I'll be around. See you around. And then he was off. (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) But I just find, like, if he'd left the band 
once the record was complete, surely that would be a moment before any kind of, like the juggernaut starts back up to be like, he is departing, it's the end of an era, spotlight him, you know, say like, look at all the great work he did. Not just let him announce something in the wake of new music and kind of slip out the door. um, Do you think it's an act of sabotage, perhaps? Well, like they've been playing shows and people have been noticing that he wasn't on stage. Okay, well, that, <laughs> like the last that week or so. Did, uh, keen-eyed detectives in the crowd. But sorry, what did um, what did Win Butler say about the new album? Well, so this concerned? is the thing. Like, Win Butler hasn't been talking about his brother leaving the band. He's been focusing on the music, and he put out a an interesting statement. Right, so it's like a screenshot of this written thing. And to me, and I'm sure if you'd read it as well, it would have evoked um, a very specific thing to you. Um, a piece of work from a music writer known as Paul Morley. Oh, wow. Who once wrote a very <laughs> artistic... Avant- he, yes. Avant-garde press release for he Patrick Wolf. He writes a press release for Patrick Wolf. He, he is relentlessly mocked on the internet. Is, <laughs> he is falling. <laughs> he wants the article taken down. He will never write one like this again. If anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, because most people probably don't, um, oh, it's very niche, yeah. Google Drowned in Sound message board, Patrick Wolf, Paul Morley. Uh, and yeah, hopefully it will unravel from there. He did this wild press release thing for Patrick Wolf that was <laughs> just absolutely murdered by the Drowned in Sound community, and probably rightly so. Highly yeah. pretentious stuff. And so we find Win in similar territory, but this time it's we, Dave, as he explained the new album, New Direction. Um, and he talks, he opens with saying, yeah, some, something very nice. My grandmother read me a book when I was a little kid that had the word we, all caps, sampled, or sorry, stamped into its cover, sampled. broken 1920s <laughs> gold leaf. Yeah, it was one of those musical things. She was an up. innovator. As my eyes grew heavy in the bedroom my father slept in as a child, I wondered, and then we're into like bold, big letters, what is we? Who are we? There are questions that can rattle around in your head for a lifetime. Once in a while, the centuries grind to a halt. And we are given the precious time to ask again in our childlike inner voice, what is we? Hiding in the shadow of Carl Jung. (laughs) It's the we that holds each other back and tears each other down. The we that whispers secrets and complains about paradise. Even heaven is too cold. But also it is the one of Marley, the Buddha, and Abraham. It's the lightning strike of our magic mutual creation. It's the root we share, made of the same dust as the stars we pray to. It's the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. Oh my God. And the iron of the nail on the church door of his namesake, Martin Luther. Yeah, no, yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the innocence and the mistake. Or whatever the fuck they're called. <laughs> The universal flaw and the perfect imperfection. How long is this? We're, we're just about done. There's three okay. more lines. Just checking. Third last line. The hipsters called it jazz. Fuck off. <laughs> Penultimate line. The hippies called it love. Ugh. And we close with, and we call it we. Okay. Harsh, I mean, win, sign off. It really takes some doing in, in a week where... Don't you mean a week? <laughs> oh, Craig. Um, it really takes him doing in a time where Harry Styles announces an album called Harry's House and the uh, <laughs> the, the album cover, that. the artwork on the, it is called that. <laughs> and the artwork, is like his fucking BBC4 game show. Um, and the artwork is like him standing in a room with all the furniture upside down on the ceiling, man. Oh no. Um, 
And it takes some doing in a week in which Muse announced their new album, Will of the People, oh, and no. in- including track titles like Will of the People, Compliance, Liberation, and We Are Fucking Fucked, complete with weird um, PC mist game expansion pack artwork of their three giant heads in the sand. Like uh, this, it takes what, what we're getting at here is it takes some doing for mm. Arcade Fire to, to stump all of that and emerge as the most pretentious new album announcement of the last couple of weeks. Fair play to them. Well, congratulations to the lads. Um, and here's sorry, my, Will, you're, you're here's my piping out. hot take again. It's, a, it's an episode for Dave's piping hot takes. Um, they only have two good albums. The first two, and that's pretty much it, right? Although I should yeah, say... there's some nice stuff on the suburbs. People like the suburbs. Kieran McGuinness, De Laurentiis fame, and friend of the show, is a big fan of the suburbs. Uh, so I need to shout him out specifically because he's kind of the biggest cheerleader I know for that record. People do love that one. I kind of, that's where my love affair kind of ended. Uh, I thought the first, first one's great to go back to. Second one I think has its moments, but like overall, kind of don't need them around. Everything there was a fucking oh, trash was fire of an ridiculous. album. Ridiculous. That chemistry song, I still think of it sometimes and shudder. Yeah. Uh, I think even yeah. after... Like, the second album is good, but there was something instantly lost from that first record. They were like a different band. There was just some alchemy there that just was gone. Can't return. But listen, they've done brilliant things, so not every... Most bands don't do something as good as Funeral, so... Yeah, and who knows, Mike? Like, like, maybe if the well runs dry, they could pivot to, I don't know, Yacht Rock or something, maybe, possibly. Oh, go on tour with Steely Dan, maybe? (laughs) Yeah, well, I think there's an opening, is that right? There might be an opening because Amy Mann has been thrown off the tour. Uh, we didn't cover this last week when the news broke that Thursday because I think we were there was too much on. We were too I busy in the Paddy's Day know. revelry, I think, at the yeah. time to accept any kind of new information. It was a developing story. Um, and Amy Mann had taken to the internet, taken to Instagram to express her, I was going to say ire, but actually she seemed to be dealing with the news very generously that she'd got um, word that having been booked to tour through spring and summer with Steely Dan, um, she was off it. So she she actually, I guess, self-illustrated this little comic strip. I don't know if she does that quite a bit, but it was kind of cool to see on Instagram. And it was um, quite heartfelt. Um, but it was, there was also a kind of jab in there as well. Um, so along with saying that Steely Dan were like the one band that she absolutely adores and she was very upset about it and she kind of closed with this thing of just like good luck to all bands or artists, whatever. She also put out this thing where she said it seems, she she didn't know why she was, um, she was kind of dumped. But she says it seems they thought their audience wouldn't like a female singer-songwriter. She just kind of put out there, um, which is obviously very loaded and would be awful if it was true. Um, the update is that Donald Fagan from Steely Dan has issued his own statement through Rolling Stone um, because, of course, he goes through Rolling Stone because he's a yacht rocker from the 70s. And he says, well, first of all, the idea that I would make any decision based on the gender of a performer is ridiculous. That's something that would never even occur to me. There was a communication problem on our end. I was misinformed as to how firm the commitment was to any particular opening act. And although I have the greatest respect for Amy as a writer and performer, I thought it might not be the best matchup in terms of musical style. But I can't pass the book. I'll take the blame for the screw up. I apologize for any distress this has caused Amy and her fans. Um, Man got back to Stereo Gum, um, true representative who just said her comic illustration says it all. And indeed it does. Uh, do we take Fagan at his word? Um, he was misinformed as to how firm the commitment was. Well, I mean, I can see that. He probably was, he clearly wasn't involved with that booking. 
then said, listen, that's not the right fit. And they were like, oh, we've already confirmed. Uh, I don't know. I guess it was just one of those awkward, awful things, right? Uh, bad admin, perhaps. Yeah, who knows? Bad admin, um, yeah, yeah. I would be Team Amy Mann on this one because I like her music and I don't know enough Steely Dan. So that's all it I takes for music, me to make I, a... Yeah, they don't feel like a good fit, but mm, I don't know. Uh, I'd be very happy going to that show, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't. well, not now, of course, you know. Cause I mean, I'd I'd still probably enjoy it, you know? <laughs> begrudgingly. <laughs> Whatever support act was on instead, you'd let them know. But you turn your back for the entire duration. Um, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a it's a big like oh no, Steely Dan are cancelled now type situation. I found the comic strips of Amy Mann, which I was uh, previously unaware that she did. Uh, f- find them very charming, little kind of four panel mini stories you know i'm sure they're not it's all of it being of, of the ground yeah. he dropped from a major tour uh, i'm sure there's lots of other kind of life events in there but she's cool i think i don't know yeah, her well enough to judge her um I, I like her music um okay i wish her well i wish steve dan well i wish everyone well, well that ends well um you've got a packed news section here craig and i'm conscious that we have an album review this week so i guess give me we're your doing best. dave we're doing every story <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, there's quite time. a few here. <laughs> we can breeze through them. It's kind of light and breezy, although there is, of course, some um, Russia talk. But apart from that, it's very light and breezy, apart from the COVID stuff. But apart from that, let's talk about Beck. So Beck is re-recording classic tracks, Dave. I'm not sure about this. He's going back to the likes of Loser, where it's at, and he's reworking them. He was doing this Q&A with New Yorker writer uh, Amanda Petruish, um, and... It's this kind of unspecified new project. So I don't like probably recontextualizing them doing something interesting because it's Beck. Although from some of his quotes, it seems like he's just kind of doing a like I'm a fix wolves, which would strike me as maybe a bad move. So his quote here is, I think it's a bit arbitrary that you make a record and that's the only version that exists. You look back at your work and you see things you want to fix. That's what drives the next album. You constantly try to not evolve, but crystallize which I can kind of see the the thinking behind, but maybe not for Beck, who definitely does evolve. And like, I don't know. When he does an album like Sea Change, is he really crystallizing the ideas of Midnight Vulture? I mean, that's an evolution, surely. That isn't just paring away at stuff. Um, we're getting into semantics, but I I find it weird that he's going back to like his classic stuff, particularly at this moment where he's doing kind of nice music, but isn't really pushing boundaries anymore. He's now going to tamper with stuff that is really, I don't know. Beyond reproach, beyond edits, beyond fixing, I think. Are you a big Beck guy? No, I find him curiously inert. Um, never did it for me, I have to say. I know ah, some fr- fr- man. friends of mine are big fans and I probably, quote unquote, don't get it. Um, but I, yeah, I never, never got it, man. I, I really, really didn't. Um, I think... It's an interesting thing because, like, first of all, if someone said that I was making nice music, I'd probably stop making music. Like, I think you unintentionally buried him there uh, slightly. You know, if, if it's pleasant, you know, it's like... Well, he's doing very kind of um, safe stuff at the moment. Do you know, yeah, the again, tunes are there, but it's mainstream <laughs> as hell. And it's not the Beck that, like, emerged as this kind of weirdo in the best possible but way. But this is the outsider. point. The point is you can't go back. I mean, like, look, an artist has the right to do whatever the hell they want with the music that they've created, of course. Uh, whether that's going back and re-recording old songs or, uh, you know, releasing them exclusively via a fucking stem player. It's up to you. I was thinking about this earlier on, thinking about Donda 2 and everything and how I'm just like, that album doesn't really exist for me um, for yeah. a variety of reasons, but also because 
the methodology in which it's available or, or lack thereof. But again, you know, that's the artist's decision and that's the author's decision. If they have the right to do this and they have the right to do whatever, and if Beck has the right and the time and the money and whatever, he can go do whatever the fuck he wants. But like, I just think you can't, you can't, you can't ever replace the original. Like it's, it's out there. People have a relationship with it for years and years and years. Unless it absolutely needs, like, like if it was like, oh, these, these were recorded on the cheap, and there was like, you know, like they just the guitar sounds horrendous. Yeah. It's like or a Taylor Swift enough. situation where it's yeah. like there's you know of course financial but, reasons behind it. And it's like, I mean, look, fucking like grand, do we want mate? But you know, I just yeah, like a lot of Beck music doesn't exist to me, and this will continue to be just the same. Um, give me, give me some bad people though, Craig. Give me some let's, bad. Yeah, things. okay. Let's wrap with three stories that kind of blend into each other. It's like an unholy <laughs> trinity of. Awful. Yeah, 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 so let's do it. So what I've seen Key Richards. Key Richards, not awful, we can confirm for now. He's offered his own thoughts on Eric Clapton. Awful, confirmed. We talked about this quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, terrible. And his vocal defiance, as it's written here, of coronavirus safety measures. Um so yeah, Richards was on Rolling Stone podcast. Um the magazine, not the band. But he was discussing his past with Clapton. They were kind of buddies, obviously, back in the day and how he feels about vaccination efforts to combat the the pandemic. The quote here from Keith is, I just want to get rid of this damn thing. And the only way I can see is everybody does, as the doctor says, I love Eric dearly. Oh, okay. I've known him since forever and we've had ups and downs. This COVID thing, it split people up and it made people sometimes go awry for a while, you know? Um, which I think is fair. He went on to talk about, like, the Stones are doing another album without Charlie Watts, which I'm like, I guess, keep plugging away, but it just seems like <laughs> it's not going to be the Stones without Charlie Watts. I'm glad he kind of said something about Eric Clapton. I don't think there's been many of his mates or colleagues actually publicly saying that much about him. Um, but just good to know where Akeet Richards stands on that kind of thing, I suppose. Yeah, side of the angels. Um, the COVID thing, of course, not to get too deep into the weeds of it, but, like, I was just saying to someone today in work that, hey, like... It's just amazing to me how, like, a thing that didn't exist two years ago has broken the brains of so many. It's kind of incredible how, like, it has infiltrated and ruined lives beyond the obvious ruining of the lives by, you know, actual physical illness and subsequent mortality. But, like, I think ultimately it's just baffling to me how many people have fucking shown their cards in such weird ways. And in some cases it's like, Jesus Christ, this person clearly has been brainwashed and it's a very, very sad story. But Mm. uh, in summary, fuck Eric Clapton. Who's up next? And yeah, fuck Staines Aaron Lewis. Yeah, uh, Jesus. Actually, do you want to read the headline? Particularly the second part, which can you deliver it as I intended it to be delivered? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Staines Aaron Lewis on Ukraine. It's been a lie. It's been a lie, apparently. So hang on. Um, He's doing the fake news thing, is he? This is a guy. This is a guy, Bill. This is a guy. This is a guy who. This is a guy. This guy. This is a guy who. uh, Obviously, I've paid cash money to support the career of by buying two of their albums on Compact Disc. Break the Cycle and uh, the previous one, which came out because Break the Cycle is actually their third record. It was their mainstream breakthrough. The second one was called Dysfunction, and it has um, a sad clown on the cover. And it has a great song called Mud Shovel, fucking belter. Um, and they were fun live when I paid cash money to see them in the Point Depot. That's a long time ago. Mm. Uh, we've all we've all moved on. But like, he was once hailed for like this footage of him in a gig, and he points out that there's a guy in the front row who's sexually assaulting a girl. 
And he's like, if you fucking do that again, I'm going to come down there and beat the shit out of you. First of all, he should have come down and beat the shit out of him anyway. There shouldn't mm. be like a do it again, mate. It's, no, no, that guy needs to be absolutely fucking... Or kick him out, you know. Or... Kick him out and do like a Homer Simpson backstage U2 thing and have him just get beaten up by security guards on on screen. But people, he, but he was hailed. Like, like it just like at one stage, people were like, Aaron Lewis is right on. And it's like, no, no, he's right wing, I guess. Uh, as we know, he's very much turned into a big don't tread on me guy. But go on, Craig, depress me further. What's he been saying? Yeah, like the onstage kind of patter these days is just ranting. Um, and he's gone full, like, he's gone fully into, like, don't believe anything. It's all a kind of, you know, it's all show trials. It's all for show. It's all like, you know, that thing of just like the people that quote 1984 without actually having read it. Um, so he was doing a solo show. He's in country mode, I guess now. Um, so he probably is playing a bit to his audience as well. And he is going along with this baseless argument that Putin has invaded Ukraine in order to dismantle the so-called deep state, a clandestine government sect formed to undermine former President Donald Trump. So the quote here from Aaron Lewis is, so I'm not going to go into some big get myself in trouble dissertation. So he's not going to give the dissertation, uh, Dave. All I'm going to say is this, question everything. Everything that they're telling you right now is a lie. Everything. He then described the US as the most corrupt country in the world. I mean, it's a corrupt country, but he there's a few contenders, right? He described the US in which he's performing in. Yeah, of course. Wow, it's ballsy. Like, speaking that same way about Putin in Russia on stage and see how you got on. Uh, I don't know who's worse, the Democrats that are trying to destroy this country or the Republicans that sit idly by while they do so. Um, yeah, that's the worst thing about the Republicans. Uh, they're just not doing enough. But yeah, he <laughs> Not in the version of the day for them, yeah. I know, right. He's deep in the weeds of this whole, like, deep state. Uh, his brain's know, broken. Uh, this is, what, this uh, yeah, is another example. Told, his brain, his brain is broken. fully like Putin is going to, you know, ride into town on the back of a bear and pick up Trump and the two of them are going to take over and save kind of Western civilization. What, uh, it's just sorry, madness. what fighting game is that and where do I, where do I download it? Sorry, you mentioned <laughs> Trump. Um, from my brain. Uh, a name I once banned from the show but he has faded into the background uh, in recent times do you remember like like uh, uh, do you remember when ken early of like second captains put up a tweet there a while ago and his tweet was do you I think Donald, do you think donald trump is funny and I, it was a poll it was a poll it was like yes or no and i was like this is the ultimate trolling job ever and people were kind of like responding and being like ken what the fuck and he was like i'm just asking the question i was like this is fucking <laughs> i think um, many like listen a lot of you know two things can be true um, yes, Aaron Lewis can, can actually be a decent guy if he sees someone being assaulted, but also can have ridiculous conspiracy theories in his head. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump can be a despicable, awful, awful human being who should never be leading anything. He shouldn't be running his own company, let alone the US, but also be hilarious. I mean, he's kind of funny. I think you got to give it to him. Like, yeah, he's, he's got, got com- good timing. He's got comedy timing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like horrendous should probably be uh, publicly like put to death, but at the same time, had the odd zinger or two. I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, look. now Dave, um, he might have writers working for him. Uh, one specifically being Kid Rock. Great. To close the new section. Great. This is Kid good. Rock Sorry, has I, I, claimed... I should apologize, listeners. This is a very um, you know, it's a dark day for the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and we've had a few of them. He's claimed that Donald Trump sought his uh, advice about US policy on North Korea and ISIS. Um, I'd believe it, Craig, to be honest with you. I, I would well would. believe it. Kid Rock was on Tucker Carlson. Because of no. course he was. <laughs> Fuck's sake. The quotes, I had to include this. The quotes. 
I was there with Trump one day when he ended the caliphate. Fuck's sake. <laughs> he wanted to put out a tweet. I don't like to speak out of school. I hope I'm not. But the tweet was, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, you know, if you ever join the caliphate, you know, trying to do this, you're going to be dead. He goes, what do you think? I said, awesome. I can't add any better. <laughs> but then it comes out and it's reworded and more political to look politically correct and just be afraid. So, yeah, um, Trump was compromised. He, he was sad about that. But he also says that him and Trump were once, and now we're back into quotes, looking at maps. <laughs> <laughs> in the war room. I'm like, you know, like, am I supposed to be in on this shit? Like, I make dirty records sometimes. I do. And um, he claims Trump said to him, what do you think we should do about North Korea? <laughs> and I'm like, what? I don't think I'm qualified to answer this. Um, so I mean a bit of um, a self-awareness from Kid Rock there. A, a sure, brief yeah, moment fair play of to it. Contrite. Um, I'm not surprised by any of that. I, no. I find it incredible, but like, just my God. Donald Trump probably fucking says this to like whoever's cleaning his office. Like, hey, what would you yes. do? Like, I mean, anyway, look, that's enough. It's enough of him. Let's wrap it's, it. There's some toxicity infecting this podcast. We can't have it. Right. Um, that was the news section. And it's time to do our first album review in a few weeks. What was the last one? Do you remember? I don't. Um, I, it was an FKA twig. Surely we've Was it Mitski? It might have been. Um, it's been a few weeks. It Basically, might have been big, big Thief, I believe. Big Thief sounds... Oh, yeah, the double yes. album that kind of yeah. <laughs> made us broke think about us. albums. It broke <laughs> us for a while. Yeah. <laughs> We're kind of only going to do album reviews now if we deem the album significant or if it catches our eye or our ear, rather. And, like, you know, we kind of feel like... There's no point in doing, doing one for the sake of it, but, you know... So we'll be selective with it, you know? Um, however, I do think that the return of Charlie XCX has merit. She's back. Yeah. The album's out a week now. It's called Crash. Here is what it sounds like. Charlie XCX is a song called Baby, came out at the start of March, and it was not received amazingly well by her stand base, which led to her having an argument with them online. We'll probably get to that. But first, Craig Fitzpatrick with a primer on Charlie XCX. Yeah, she's a bit of a favourite on this show. Um, Charlotte Aitchison, I believe is her name. She's an artist from Cambridge. Been around since, been around since the late, sorry, since the late noughties, I guess. She was one of those, like, you know, MySpace self-starters. Probably, you know, around the time of Jay Paul. Uh, I won't go into it. It's, it's still too upsetting. She's still, like, only in her late 20s now. Um, and she has amassed um, a big following, a kind of cultish following. Uh, as you pointed out, her, I think she calls them her angels. Uh, she's been bristling against them of late. Um, but in terms of the wider picture, I mean, she sometimes feels like she's on the periphery or the kind of shadows of like major pop moments, even when she's kind of like orchestrating them. So like early showcases for Charlie XCX were kind of with other artists, right? Like you had a kind of pop, a collab, I love it. That was gigantic. Um, and that was kind of her. Um, and you have like her debut album, True Romance, was like critically adored, but a bit of a flop. And at the same time, she's giving, you know, Iggy Azalea, The Hook, The Bridge, like all the good bits of fancy. It's Selena Gomez's um, Same Old Love. Um, 
And then in terms of her own kind of stuff, she went punk on Sucker, but around about 2015, she fell in with like A.G. Cook, the late great Sophie, um, and PC Music, and the mixtapes that kind of followed in the albums. They were kind of creating this body of work that now has her at a point where um, she's the queen of hyperpop, I guess, right? She's like, you know, the, the micro genre, whatever's biggest star. Um, she's got great character to match, that kind of cutting edge, daring take on pop music. Um if you don't know hyper pop it's kind of like exaggerated um pop and pop culture to the point of like almost parody and it can be all over the shop but generally it's like forward thinking colorful and like brash and it can be brilliant when it comes off and she does it like better than most so with crash and this is her fifth album it's more conventional um it's kind of aiming for the middle of the pop road i guess um there's 80s throwbacks there's probably more um, faithful references to other artists than we would usually get, I think. It's kind of the end of an era for her. I, I think her deal with Atlantic is, is wrapped up. And it's been in the works for a long time, which is kind of, it can be unusual for Charlie XCX. Like she made um, How I'm Feeling Now, which was her pandemic record, uh, in the midst of the process of this kind of coming together, I believe. And, you know, she put that together in about six weeks and it was right off the cuff and was critically adored with this one she's been teasing songs for about a year now there's kind of big collabs on it um christine the queens and the likes there's the likes of um one tricks point never on production long time with kind of long time collaborators um and yeah i guess the project the aim of this one she said it's about her making like ultimate pop music and she wants her kind of main pop girl moment so this should kind of be the big one, I guess, for her in terms of commerciality. Um, her kind of marrying artier eccentricities and like her that creativity to like her love of optimism and big courses that connect. Um, and she takes over the music world. Um, is this her moment, Dave? How were your moments with Crash? Um, well, I had a moment there where I accidentally played some audio because I was looking at a tweet related to this. I was listening right. to you, all very, all very cogent and and, and concise as always, Craig. Thank, Thank you. you. But I was just wanting to reference the 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 song you heard there, baby, and how she got into a bit of a ruck online uh, with her oh, with yeah, her yeah. with her stands. So just to give you the context on that one, uh, this song came out a few weeks ago, and I Charlie XCX Stan on Twitter, who didn't tag Charlie XCX or anything, put up a uh, tweet saying these Charlie singles so far not doing it for me whatsoever but she's still in my mother list and then there was like a little video of Demi Lovato for some reason I don't know why um, so Charlie XCX then responded to this uh, yeah. person with about like seven different tweets and it was like a, a new tweet every time as opposed to just threading it. it was weird but Charlie XCX in response said to this person is clearly taking them up the wrong way about the whole mother comment which read to me as like She's my mom, I'm a stan, but Charlie yeah. XCX thought it was like an ageist dig or something. And so Charlie XCX responded and said, if you want to throw around midlife crisis, fucking throw it at me. I'm getting older. He's 29. I'm getting, <laughs> yeah, 29. Um, I'm getting older. I'm getting hotter. My tits are stunning. I'm in great shape. I'm dancing. <laughs> I'm progressing. And I'm living my best life. And that's the tea. I'm a total tea. catch. <laughs> it's like, I might as well end with that. What a <laughs> Kirk Van Houten energy over here. Like, <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> also, can we do away with the phrase "live my best life"? 
while I'm on this and that's the tea and that oh, that's oh, yeah. fuck Twitter fuck modern bullshit I hate it all okay here so then Charlie X goes, goes on to say um, again not bothered mm, that some people will always have their preferred eras etc that's why it's fun being an angel there's so much variety but if you don't think the baby is a bop then I don't know that's just very suspicious to me like mm. <laughs> then, so then she kept going and just said like fans who think that I'm being forced to dance in this video are totally my decision um in a since-deleted tweet, uh, Charlie signed off, Bitch, bye. I will never understand what possesses people to be such cunts online. Oh, so, Jesus. not happy. Now, again, I think I mentioned recently, I spoke to James Vince McMorrow about, like, this specific thing and, like, stands and online such and whatever. And, like, you know, the pressure is relentless. It absolutely is. And Charlie XX has always struck me as a very, very independent artist, despite having a major label deal. Uh, Fearless, you know, her brand of kind of feminism, her brand of kind of just like presentation is very much like, you know, I'm I'm sex positive and I don't give a fuck what people think about me. Um, yeah. But of course, you know, you're a pop artist, you're in the modern era, you've access to everything and you have people who are coming at you and the stand base can in fact turn on their fucking queen at the drop of a hat. Um, however, I would agree with the stand base to a degree here. Uh, I think that this is weak. I think that these songs are very, very weak. Uh, she was interviewed by Zane Lowe this week and I caught like I threw it on for a minute just literally like just to see what the vibe was and my god straight away he's like this is the greatest album you've ever done and it's like mm. Jesus what are we doing like I mean like my favourite saying low thing is when like an artist that he's interviewing will just mention some random track maybe not even one on the album just from like ages ago just a plain track and he will do this expression of like his breath has taken place like, oh my god like mm-hmm. they've just mentioned like good vibrations or something <laughs> <laughs> so good he, from what I could see he was very much doing that it was just immediately yeah. fawning and just like don't get me wrong like you know envious of the guy's life and his job I'd love to have that that'd be great but at the same time he's just off the bat he's like this is the perfect distillation of Charlie XCX I don't think it is I think Pop no. 2 was to be honest with you um, and I think like uh, I mean we pre- we, we've we hailed Charlie X so much in this program over the years and said that she was the future of music and I don't know. I mean, like along the way, I think she became something that I never thought she would, which is boring. Um, I, I wasn't hyped about this one, and I went into this album, and my first few listens, it's mercifully, it's mercifully short. Um, went into it, and my first few listens were like, yeah, this is kind of the lukewarm enough pop album I thought it was going to be but then something strange happened along the way I think like listens kind of maybe like four through seven I was like "Uh, actually you know what this is better than I thought it was going to be I think these songs are actually quite smart and like she does have it still and then by the time I got to like listens like eight through ten I was like no actually I think that these songs are completely empty um she'll always be a captivating presence but I just I think it's I think it's very lightweight I think it's very I I don't like could you I don't know if you could call it trend chasing necessarily. Um, I just don't think there's anything really here, and I think she's in a weird kind of weekend spot as well, to a degree where it's like even a song like Baby, which is like you know a sex anthem, and it's like yeah, like cool, like that's great and all that you're like this kind of avatar for again sex positivity and you know radical feminism, but like what else you got? You know what I mean? It's kind of like I've heard it and I've heard it better. their bops she can bop fair enough her gigs are lively affairs and she's playing the olympia soon i'm sure it'll be a fun night out for everybody uh i don't get a lot of substance from this to be honest with you i think she's made significantly better surface level music i think she's made more emotional music um 
if it is, as you say, the end of an era with a record label, I gotta wonder if this is just like a get a, a, a finish the contract, right now, you know, walk thing, away yeah. type thing. But of course, she's not saying that. She's saying it's you know the album I always wanted to make. The usual kind of blather you hear about every fucking new album release from anybody. Um, yeah, it's it it's it's inoffensive, which is also kind of a bad thing I think for Charlie X to be like it's safe as houses. Did anything on this like stop you in your tracks? So like, I'm not going to go back to any of this. It's so fucking average. Yeah, I mean, there's moments that are of a certain quality because I don't think she can make like a bad record. Um, but the whole thing with like a new charity release used to be never kind of knowing quite what to expect. And I think the most surprising thing about this was just like how telegraphed it was just listening through it. And it's like readily and kind of smoothly sitting in amongst the kind of current pop competition just in a way that I think doesn't do her justice as you were saying like she's still quite compelling at times I don't think the production does her any favours I think it probably sets out to like what she was setting out to do and achieve with it I think maybe it does that and I think I don't think that this this is just something phoned in precisely because she seemed to be working on it for so long and there's those quotes from ages ago where she's talking about doing her, her Janet album, like a Janet Jackson thing, which she does all over this. So this seems like she wanted to try and do this kind of music, which is fair enough. But I just don't think this is where she excels. I think a lot of other people are doing this kind of thing. I, I'm like my third or fourth listen. I'm like, why does this feel like an artist that's trying to keep up with a Dua Lipa or something? Like, this is Charlie XCX. She should be leagues ahead of this kind of thing. Never really took flight during any of my listens. Like today, I was like, okay, I should probably listen through it again. And I didn't really have any desire to do it, which is crazy to me for this kind of artist. Um, it felt samey, which is another kind of shocker for her. Um, kind of derivative where like, she's obviously a bit of a kind of pop carnivore. But usually she magics up some just brand new concoctions and it's all very playful and precisely her. But here it's just like, I don't know, the opening, the opening kind of got me because it's, it's the first moment, I think within 30 seconds. And there's loads of these moments where there's kind of a few different ways she goes and the songs just kind of go into the most kind of banal middle of the road version of what they could be. Like it opens with this kind of grand statement of like, I'm about to crash into the water or whatever. And like um, self-destructive ended also legendary. And like, to me, it felt like that's almost recalling her early, like I love it vibe and attitude. And like, oh my God, this could go anywhere. And then we kick into like this Nile Rogers, like funky little guitar riff and there's these like gated drums and we're just into like a run of the mill like 80s synth pop song and that was A.G. Cook like who just kind of sabotages that one and there's less talented producers elsewhere doing similar and every time a song I thought like had potential a song like Lightning I think her writing on it's pretty good Um, the opening is quite daring you could imagine kind of Sophie production taking it somewhere skyscraping and weird and distorted and brilliant and it just descends into like a kind of new order baseline synth line thing which is again is 80s and actually yeah it was reminding me of like this would fit on like that Dawn FM fake radio station that The weekend was doing it's that 80s thing it's very much music for the radio and the main takeaway for me was just like I don't know, made me appreciate the stuff that she has put out and the pop twos and like the mixtapes and all that kind of stuff because I was like, actually, she had a run of about five, six, seven years where 
she kind of stayed in like, if The Weeknd had stayed in like trilogy EP mode for that long, she was releasing a lot of stuff that was that out there and subversive and daring and different. And it's very much over with this. I think she can go back to it. I think the closing track was probably the closest to that. So there there was no songs where I was like, what is she doing here? I just felt like everything around her was letting her down and she she's capable of so much better. So yeah, it was like six out of 10 for me because I don't think it's terrible, but I'm not going to be going back to it a huge amount. Yeah, if you'd never heard of Charlie XX album before and you heard this, you'd probably be blown away. You'd be like, wow, I didn't know pop music could do these things, but they're just watered down versions of great stuff that she's done before. Um, and I'm not into the whole thing. I'm not into the whole package at, the, at this point. It feels, it just feels very obnoxious. You know, it does. It just feels very like, you know, I'm fucking fearless. Deal with it. And it's like, yeah, okay. there's that song what it, where it's like, it's kind of a, like a woe is me anthem when you're about to like cheat on your partner. And at that point, I was just like, like this is very yeah. Like, that's why I kind of make the weekend comparison because she's done this before as well. Like she's had songs yeah. about like you know kind of ambiguity and kind of like you know like maybe stepping on people and like breaking hearts and blah blah blah. And that's fine, you know. Like, that I mean, can like, be real and great, and like you can get yeah. a lot of emotion out of and that. I think but that male artist feels like it's yeah. I think that male artists probably probably get away with it more. Yes, like, they, yeah, like, that's whereas fair. women artists or like female artists are demonized when they shouldn't be. It's like fact of life. I mean, people people cheat on people. It's not nice, but it, you know, heartbreak songs, etc. But yeah, there's a level of there's just a level it's just of like, a surface. And it just feels the, it feels you know, immature at times. Away, like yeah. it feels immature in, in 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 its in its lyricism and its messaging and its vocal delivery and its production at times. And it's just like, I mean, again, this is the person who made pop too. Like, I mean, even like throwaways, like number one angel is better than this. Like fucking sucker is better than this. Um, mm. Charlie, an album I didn't love, is better than this. How like you know the pandemic album is much better than this. Um, yeah, it's just I don't really buy what she's selling at the moment. And um, but look, she's still fucking crazy you know innovative and interesting in terms of like potential and blah 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 and she doesn't owe us anything you know like she doesn't owe us a fucking she's given us incredible pop music and probably will again but this is uh fucking middle of the road crash indeed four out of ten i'm not feeling it so anyway look that's that's, um, five combined well you know if that's the ranking system i suppose um yeah it's just uh, who has the time craig you know Uh, i listen to it like 10 times though put the work in you know it just was so backgroundy. Like, I, it really <laughs> took concerted listens to be like, oh, this is that song. It was just so identical. I was, yeah. Well, let's, let's make ourselves feel good again about pop music, shall we? Okay. Um, because we have, we've got some game-changing efforts in our top five. It's our top five game-changing pop songs. It's not best and worst necessarily, but, you know, a game-changing song might not, might not be a great one. I guess we'll find out. Uh, found it tricky. I thought it was hard, but I'm happy with my picks. Uh, how about I go first? Let's just kick it off, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. So, game-changing pop songs of any era, songs that made you kind of made the world sit up and take notice, and hopefully had a massive influential effect on things. Number one for me, the first one that came to mind, is my number five. I 
Well, yes, of course. It's Britney Spears. It's Baby One More Time. It's her debut single. I think Rolling Stone at one side said this was the greatest debut single of anybody. You could make the argument. I did find, in returning to the song, a song we've all heard a million, million times. Uh, listening back to it again in isolation for the purpose of this top five, I was struck by just how good it is. It is bulletproof, I think. Uh, originally written for the Backstreet Boys, uh, found its way to Britney Spears. Uh, Max Martin, of course, is behind this. And my kind of subheading for this is that this is, in terms of game-changing, in terms of what it, its legacy, I suppose, uh, this is the calling card for a new star, I would say. Uh, it's oh, the, yeah. It's the rebirth, I think, of a particular kind of American teen pop sensation. And then, of course, you also have, like, the... Um, overt sexualization that comes with that of a fucking teenager you know like like that's you were being sold you were being sold the American dream with this song and I remember you I, were being sold the American dream with I was a teenage boy Craig <laughs> like I, I remember that Little video boy. I, I was like what the fuck who is this what um, year was it 98 was it? Oh, no, 98 I think, are you right oh yeah yeah so no 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 like, um, well the album came out in 99 um, it was exciting. Exciting times for everyone. <laughs> it sure was. Um, yeah, so... Well, hang on. <laughs> Adam is shaking his head. As I think it was back. 99. I have to... Because it was the best-selling single. Summertime in, for Humanity, you say? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. It was released in I'd September... i say it was probably still so, number one into 99. Yeah, it was. Yeah, like yeah. September yeah, 28, yeah. 1998. Um, Adam is shaking his head. Adam, we were teenagers. Like, it's all good. I wasn't even a teenager. That's I was prepubescent, probably. Okay, well, we're not going to get we're, we're not going to get weird with it. <laughs> but this this was instant star. This was just like this song is yes. like, uh, even without the video, like you know, it, like straight away you're just like this has such incredible hooks to it. Like it's unbelievable. Apparently, before she recorded it, she stayed up all night listening to "Tainted Love" by Soft Cell to kind of practice her vocals. And I don't know if I hear that incredible. in the song itself, but. Um, I just think to this day, man, similar rhythm does it? Maybe, it. maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's got that that kind of Max Martin thing going on. I mean, you know, like it just seemed to kind of just change what my definition of pop music was. It felt, it did feel like it felt like you know, like like, like there's a new millennium around the corner, and this is the thing. Like it, it, yeah. it, it just had such weird kind of power to it. Like I mean, it was extremely in your face without being obnoxious. It just fucking worked. I mean, like. It's kind of the definition of like a radio song, isn't it? Like it, it just has all the lifts, all the moments. I think she's great on it, um, even though, you know, like it's it's a song that was initially... And you could hear, like I, you can totally hear the Backstreet Boys stuff in it as well. There, like the, those kind of very polished pop American radio, late 90s kind of glamour things that they would just put into these things that would just give it a signature kind of sonic palette to it or something. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, the kind of, like, yeah, very specific 90s synth, like, stabs, but also the kind of guitar in there as well. There's this weird kind of rock influence. It's actually a, a strange enough concoction, but it was a sound that was kind of, like, everywhere. Was, uh, how big was Max Martin at this point? I think this is the one that properly announced him, right? But I guess he was already writing for, like, sort of Backstreet Boys and, and those kind of acts at that stage, right? Like, he was... He was a big enough writer in the background in the 90s, but I think this is the one, isn't it, that everyone talks about. This was as much his calling card as Britney Spears, right? Certainly in terms of, yeah, like, I mean, advancing him into a much more mainstream context. But he was definitely known because, uh, as our old friend Larry Flick of Billboard writes, um, produced by <laughs> famed Euro popsters Max Martin and Eric Foster. So famed, he was famed. Oh, sorry, Eric. Uh, according to Larry sorry. Flick, uh, this song chugs with an insinuating faux-funk beat and super shiny synths. Spears has a charming cup- 
Cupid doll voice that has a soulful quality that leaves the listener intrigued and wondering where to go with time and experience. Um, it was critically acclaimed by most places. Um, there was some weird stuff, though. I mean, like, there, there was some weird kind of commentary. Like, someone from Blender said, um, uh, at the time, Teen Pop was still a boys' club, but while the guys were crooning about crushes, Spears was already planning the sleepover party. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Oh. And then you have, like, NME saying, um, a symphony of teenage lust as fully realized as anything Brian Wilson ever wrote. Do you agree with that? Um, yeah, I think it does capture that that innocent kind of moment of change. Yeah, which was you know happening in the wider world as well. There's a kind of optimism to it. It's but an edginess. I do think you know at the time she was maybe seen and totally unfairly as just like she's the next kind of star that you just you know she's kind of anonymous and she'll she'll just sing whatever i think her vocal is kind of key to this yeah she was really distinctive right out of the traps yeah i remember like previously thinking she's got those kind of like trademark things that she you know would continue on just those inflections and it was she was almost like a kind of michael jackson you know where you can hear there's certain kind of techniques and certain things that are just distinctly them from the outset um so yeah it's unmistakably her um, I guess um, yeah, great song. I guess this enemy review agrees with you because it goes on to say a truly grand pop song that overwhelms any lingering undercurrent of Lolita pedo creepiness through the sheer fanatical earnestness of its delivery. Yeesh. I don't know if fanatical earnestness is the way to overcome Lolita pedoness, but that's um, a different podcast. I guess we don't have to find out. Yeah, no. Okay, will I will I change things up significantly, Dave? Sure. Go somewhere a bit safer. Okay. I will take us to the early 60s and I will take us, Dave, to space. So I've gone with a song from 1962. It's the Tornadoes, Telstar, huge hit, huge number one hit. Um, both sides of the Atlantic. Um, actually, most of the rest of my selections, as a little spoiler, are way more current and kind of in pockets of time. Um, so they might be more familiar to people. Um, but it was an opportunity to talk about this kind of weird little song that was massive. And also the man behind it. I don't know if we've discussed before, but like... Good opportunity. Um, Joe Meek, the legendary producer um, and remarkable character. Um, really kind of sad, strange story behind him. But he was just the first to so many things in the pop realm that it felt fitting. Like I was toying around with like, what's going to be my little hipster choice? Will I get like craft work in there? Or, you know, am I going to give like the podcast cover version of Giorgio by Marauder and just talk about those? And I was like, eh. Probably not. Let's go further back. So I'll go back to 1962 and the biggest song that Joe Meek ever put together. He was a real pioneer. He like guy from, 
Well, he's based in London. Um, he was, I think, a radio man during national service in like World War II and got like deep into electronics. He was a bit of a like techie, um, got into music and didn't quite fit the studio system, like the old kind of pop studio system at the time. Just didn't work well with people, I guess. Um, eventually, like early 30s, got enough up enough money to kind of start his own studio um, and his own kind of uh, record company, Triumph Records, I think it was. And he kind of um, pioneers like DIY independent recording in the pop realm. So he just had like this flat above this shop in like Tottenham and he made massive amounts of very kind of pioneering hits there. Just weird kind of songs, um, some pure pop songs for sure, but like all of them kind of interspersed with really kind of groundbreaking studio techniques just like pioneering that studio innovation thing that like the Beatles would go on to do um, a lot of and at a time when acts would be recorded in studios like gathered around a single microphone he'd have like orchestras set up on the stairs with a track like this he has this kind of like it was to commemorate Telstar the kind of satellite being launched into space which kind of um led the way for satellite communication. It's a real like JFK pop kind of moment of like, we're going to the moon, we're going to the stars. This is like, everything's great. It's pure like 60s optimism, I guess. And um, to get the sound of like the rocket taking off the start of it, he like recorded a toilet flushing and like played it backward. There was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. The band themselves are the Tornadoes, um, really adept kind of instrumental rock band. Matt Bellamy's dad on guitar, George Bellamy. Um, so they didn't really love what Joe Meek did with the track, but everyone else did. It was very out there at the time. It got to number one um, for a long time. And the story thereafter for him gets quite, gets stranger and stranger and ends kind of sadly. He had a lot of kind of mental health problems. Um, at a certain point, he got paranoid that Phil Spector, who he kind of shared a lot in common with, was like stealing his ideas and he had his studio bugged from like America. He would like go to um, graveyards and like mic up the graves and stuff because he thought he could record the sounds of like dead people. He thought he was in communication with the ghost of Buddy Holly. Um, and when the hits kind of dried up, um, he got increasingly paranoid there was a lot of conspiracy theories around him being shaken down by the Cray twins. Like there's there's crazy stories in here of just like they wanted like to basically manage um, the tornadoes and he was having none of it. Um, so his eventual death was the scene where he had an argument with his landlady and he shot her and then immediately killed himself. But like a lot of people are just like, well, actually, no, he, it was a hit. It was the craze. And it's all this kind of cover up. You have I never deep. heard of any of this? This is wild. <laughs> because, Dave, I made all of it up and I recorded that song. <laughs> <laughs> and that's called but Changing just, the Game, everybody. When I, when I saw the thing of like, oh, and Matt Bellamy's dad was on guitar. I'm like, Matt Bellamy must have had a field day asking his dad about like the whole Joe Me conspiracy thing. This is the kind of conspiracy theory that like Aaron Lewis should be into. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Kind of harmless, good kind of 60s. Um, I mean, awfulness. Kind of harmless kind of until the ending. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, very harmful to him and the people around mm -hmm. him but I mean in terms of the remove of time the wider it's not like affecting yeah, yeah. people you know people's rights and also yeah, by the way um, like you know and I mean this sincerely um, and not to be morbid or anything or to be disrespectful but like the idea of trying to record ghosts in a graveyard is kind of cool like that's kind it's of it's very cool yeah like he was big into the occult like this is like it's like mixing 
I don't know, big into like Alistair Crowley stuff. Um, and just, it sadly tipped somewhere very, very dark because uh, his mind wasn't in the right place. Like he thought he was properly possessed before he passed away. Um, which a lot of it leads me to believe that maybe he did act, you know, in a really volatile way and he was behind it. But yeah, like he worked with, he worked with them all, Dave. He worked with like Tom Jones back in the day. He worked with Rod Stewart and told him he wouldn't have a career. He was recording all these guys. He was also um, a closeted um, homosexual gentleman at a time when that was a really, really tough thing. Um, still tough for people, obviously, of course, but just, you know, in that climate, in that industry, he struggled with that deeply. Um, so really fascinating character. Um, and this song is kind of magical. Like I, I, it was a number one in Ireland as well. Like I, I stumbled back across it when I was looking through our our number ones list for Irish number ones. And give me, a, give me the name of the group and the song once again, just so that people don't have to it run back and get it. Telstar is the track, and it's the Tornadoes. And actually, if you, there's probably a like this is Joe Meek Spotify playlist, and a lot of those songs are great because you don't hear them too much. They all sound like they should be in you know, an episode of Mad Men. I think this actually was in an episode of Mad Men, closing it when, like, Don's on a plane or something, going into a bright future. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, you don't, like, this is the start of independent kind of production. You don't get a lot of the studio trickery of the Beatles without this kind of thing. I think he was just the first so much stuff, including um, messing around with electronic music and synths and stuff. So, yeah, real innovator, and that's my number five. How on earth do I follow that? I mean, Jesus Christ, I better have an ace up my sleeve and I think I do um, oh. it's time for uh, like I said I'm, I'm gonna get, like, like I've got a subheading for all these you know like like very cinematic yes. I want you to picture you know block capitals bold italics it's really you know it's a real scene so this is Craig number four for me in game changing pop uh, a new dawn for sophisticated British pop It's the sound of the underground. It's Girls Aloud. It's the debut single from Girls Aloud. Uh, I considered Spice Girls Wannabe for this slot, but I figured, and the case can be made for sure. Yeah, but there's I, definitely a strong case for that. This is the better song, though, probably. A much better, I think. And listen, you know, regular listeners of the show will know that we love Girls Aloud and it doesn't, you know, we don't need an excuse to rave about them. Um, so I won't spend all day doing so, but I will say, um, it's such a great debut single and it genuinely did feel like it was exactly the shot in the arm, I think particularly that UK pop music needed at that time. And the fact that they came as well, this is also game changing for me in the sense that it made like a shit talent show credible. Now granted, well, well, it made the idea of it credible because granted like this was pop stars, the rivals, this would eventually lead to the X Factor taking it over and you could argue, and I will argue that they never really produced an act as good as this, I don't think. Unless I'm no, forgetting. Well, you, you know, like One Direction certainly aren't as good as Girls Loud, nor are Little Mix, but like, uh, you know, there are outliers in terms of success or whatever. But um, this just really, really worked, especially in a way that like the rival boy band did not. Um, Girls Loud managed to kind of like shake off the talent show thing pretty quickly. From what I can recall, I mean, like, I, I'm sure I was dismissive of them for a while in my kind of, you know, coming out of my teens into my new metal, fuck pop music, ignorance wilderness years but 
once it made sense, I was like, wait a minute, all of these songs are great. Like, like they have, I've said it before, I'll say it again, they have a good run of singles as any act ever, honestly. It did wane towards the end, but even the dud ones are still pretty fucking good. And it did feel like, like there was a gravitas to them. There was a genuine sense of like, these guys are the real deal. Like they, they're the total package. Like the songs are here. They're great performers. It works. The writing, the production houses that they worked with, et cetera, Xenomania, you know, it's like, this was like arguably quote unquote better than it should have been. Like, you know, I, I think they're, yeah. they're, they're a really special group and I think time has been very, not kind to them, but I think the time has kind of only re- like galvanized, you know, like who is the new girls allowed? I don't think we have one, right? I don't think we do. No, they're just very like canny operators. Um, like really struck at the right moment and knew the right kind of music and had a kind of mission statement and picked the right songs and sound. And like, he had like, rock and roll was coming back a bit and they were cool and they were taking elements from that. And, um, you know, when we talked about Sarah Harding, she's, you know, she was best mates with all the kind of big indie stars and like influenced them as well. Um, so there was that melding of kind of genres and that crossover, which was really exciting at the time. I loved this at the time. That surf guitar. It's so great, good. It? Yeah. It's very, very, <laughs> of course, it's very Pulp Fiction. Just as that was playing, I was like, has anyone done like the Pulp Fiction dance video with this over it? Like um, Travolta dancing? They, that must be on YouTube. I'm not going to do it. You should do it. I've got a week um, off. Maybe I'll do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, yeah, I should say before we move on as well, of course, you mentioned her in passing, but uh, rest in power, Sarah Harding. Yeah, amazing. Great selection. Okay, I'm going to get into, I'm inspired by you. I'm going to get into modern production now, uh, enough of the 60s and the space age. Um, I fell very much into a kind of post-millennium groove as well, to be honest. Um, and I think it was... It was probably a lot to do with my time of life, of course. It was just like a lot of my first experiences with pop music. But also I think it was a real moment where you had like hip hop becoming the dominant force in the mainstream, just at the right time when it was like fun and experimental and expanding itself uh, in terms of creativity. And you had a few kind of great super producers coming up. And um, well, here's a, a couple right here and an artist that you definitely know. What the hell who cares? All I know is I'm so happy when you're dancing there bitch (laughs) i'll never say that again i'm a slave for you and yeah first and foremost britney spears like probably on a lot of our shows in the last couple years we've been talking about her like personal strife and her like battling to get agency back over her life and luckily that is now happening it seems uh but yeah it's important we give her her kind of musical flowers as well and yeah when you talk about kind of agency she's really taking control here um despite the title you probably couldn't do a song called I'm a Slave for You Now. I don't mean that in a flip and you, you can't do that these days kind of thing, but it probably... Sounds like you cut, do, Craig. Uh, and you want to get off your chest. Well, uh, just when this came out, it was September 25th, 2001, and it really helped lift spirits after 9-11. That's all I'm saying. Um, it actually wasn't one of her major US hits. I think it was her lowest charting um, song in the US initially. Still charted pretty high. It was, it was all relative, but it was massive everywhere else. 
definitely remember it being big. Definitely remember the video in the sweaty bad house. Um, and it was written and produced by Chad Hugo and Pharrell Williams of the Neptunes. And I kind of had to include them because of how massive they were and how they just changed the sound of pop at the time. This is when they were coming into a kind of real hot streak, I guess. But there was a lot of kind of contenders as I was kind of flicking through the catalogue. Um, I nearly went with like the minimalism and like impact of grinding. Um, it was very persuasive. And also the chance to get some push in there um, and the clips. You could argue that Break You was uh, Jay-Z's I Just Wanna Love You. Um, but I think like that did their kind of strip back like you know inverted funk thing where every element is like striking and essential and the space in the song is really important but i think this is the the important pop moment right because it's like the jay-z track apparently caught the attention of britney spears and she wanted to work with the neptunes and cross over at a time when she was kind of leaving behind her bubblegum past and like the innocence of the past i know a lot of her previous singles alluded to it but this was really like i'm a grown-up now <laughs> and Pharrell spoke to Time um, magazine about this and was just like, yeah, that kind of excites us. It's like taking somebody from A to B is cool, but when we produce people, we want to take it from A to D to challenge their artistic nature, their image, everything. And that certainly did it. And it was like her shedding her, you know, girl next door image. It was a game changing moment. And I think there was a chain reaction from this because it just felt like that the year afterwards, a couple of years afterwards, You've got Justin Timberlake coming out of NSYNC and doing, you know, Justified, which is actually being seen as, you know, credible and inventive. That's just a year later. And that was massive. I don't think you get Christina Aguilera's like dirty without this. Um, But at the time, people were on the fence about it. Um, Like it got top 10 pretty much everywhere, I think. But it was it was one of those moments of like, huh? (laughs) Oh, this is the direction she's going. I'm not sure about this, but um, it just sounds great. Like every element works for me. Um, it's hypnotic it's not obvious and so much that followed in the wake wake I should say just kind of completely ripped it off it was yeah a watershed moment in more ways than one I think um, Britney Spears although like her I think her singles like you know if you had the singles discography in front of you in the playlist like you know hit and miss for sure and there was very much yeah. a feeling out process uh, for a time there in terms of just trying to find the right style and the right whatever and recapture the magic of the debut and blah, 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 blah. And like a lot of kind of, you know, kind of soppy ballads. But like she was very good for having, for generally having one or two bangers, you know, per era that like really fucking stood hugely tall. And this is definitely yeah. one of them. So, yeah. And yeah, you're right. I mean, like we have mostly spoke about Britney Spears in a very kind of, you know, speaking about the conservatorship stuff and just like, being concerned about her her life so it's nice to kind of i think have a have a section here where we're both kind of giving her flowers and richly deserved so nice good stuff um number three for me right um this is a noted sonic pivot for this artist i don't think i can claim this as a good song but it oh definitely changed the game here we go oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) what not a good song (laughs) believe in life after love craig it's believe by Cher, and you think it's a good sure song is yeah what yeah. about that isn't good it's uh, extremely well written i don't know craig i think 
it insists upon itself. I I I think that's but, the best um, thing about it. It's sure, of course, it does. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you want. Maybe you're fair. Maybe it does. It is well written. Um, so she was the tea pain of her day. She was the because as well, yeah. you, this is what I've got written down. This this is my uh, the popularization of auto tune. Um, yeah. Because it was, right? <laughs> um, For sure, yeah. This song was massive, man. This fucking uh, top charts all over the world. And it earned a Guinness World Records thing. She was the oldest female solo artist to top the Billboard Hot 100. The highest selling single by a solo female artist in the UK as well. It sold over 11 million singles. Like, this was crazy. fucking huge. Uh, absolutely massive. Unquestionable. Craig's a huge fan. I mean, I think I think I just heard it to death at the time yeah. when it was out. It was kind of everywhere, and I just found it to be a bit insistent. But in fairness, it is you know it is different. But like yeah, so the whole thing is that like um, the effects were achieved using autotune. Um, it was a major part of the song. I think it attracted a lot of criticism. Uh, however, I do think in time that it like. You know, I think it's looked back on now as like this kind of ballsy thing to do. Um, like. Sure, apparently they like there's a urban legend that like they did it without telling her and then she heard it and then they were like fuck she's gonna go mad but she was like no it's great like let's do it um the label apparently wanted to get rid of it um the producers like it says here in an attempt to protect their method the producers claimed it was achieved using a vocoder which was not the effect was widely imitated and became known as the share effect now in 2020 <laughs> craig um, yeah. There's a digital publication called The Pudding, uh, carried out a study on the most iconic songs from the 90s, song and songs that are most known by millennials and the people of Generation Z. So I think it was trying to do some kind of age crossover thing where it was like, can you recognize this song? So yeah. Believe was apparently the sixth most recognized song in terms of its overall kind of impact on the world. The top five... Where Mambo number five by Lou oh. Bega, All Star yeah. by Smash Mouth, Wannabe by the Spice Girls, Baby One More Time by Britney Spears, and My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. I think we can agree. Song. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Um, yeah, believe. I don't know. I just find it to be, I don't know. There was just something, it always felt uncool to me, you know? Not that I was the coolest I mean, 14 year old guy walking around. It was kind like, of. It's been naff, cool. no, but naff. It, it's it's come back around though for a lot of the reasons you said. For, first of all, you mean like the the kind of auto tune thing is obviously clearly just to add some kind of bit of novelty and an extra hook. Like it's not it's not to fix Cher's voice, so it's part of the creative process. Do you know what I mean? It's it's there for a kind of it mixes things up in a really cool way. I think. Um, her being the oldest female to what was the chart? What was the record? Just to have a number one the or to have Billboard to chart that high? the Billboard Hot 100 top that chart in particular. And I that's think, great. Yeah. Like yeah, um, and at a time when what, what was this? 1998. 98 as yeah. well. Amazing. Jesus Christ, we're on the cusp of summertime for humanity. The eve of summertime for humanity. <laughs> right on the eve, and you had you know like Blondie's comeback song around then, Maria, right? And you know Debbie Harry was kind of an older female artist. Madonna was changing the game as well Frozen in terms of and just Ray prolonging your career. Kind of stuff, yeah, 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 it felt like actually maybe in the pop realm, which was a young person's game, particularly if you're a female, this was maybe a, a moment where the game opened up a bit for people and that's a very good thing as well. Um, so yeah, I, I like this pick. You don't hear it too often anymore, right? Well, where are you like going to hear it? Like, hear, uh, like, Where are you going to hear it? That's true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
fucking t- taxi on a Saturday <laughs> night home. Mind if I put this on, lads? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love Crack that. it up, I'd mate. Out comes one of the 11 million CDs that were sold. <laughs> Another song I'd love to hear in the taxi, uh, as I hurtle back to Leaks Up with a few points on me, would be this one. <laughs> <laughs> no conversation made, just tunes. This was the first one that came to my mind and I was like, this has to go in. And in it goes. It's Missy Elliott. It's Get Your Freak On. Um, when it came out, kind of blew my mind a little bit. It was one of those, oh, you can do that kind of things. Just seemed to rewrite the rules. Um, it's Missy Elliott alongside her childhood friend, I believe, um, fellow Swing Mob member, Timbaland. Um, they're both from Virginia as well. Same as Neptune's, which is a bit mad. She'd had big hits before, Um her debut solo record, um, Super Duper Fly, was huge. Songs like The Rain with Timbaland as well were kind of very forward thinking. I guess all of it kind of culminated in this, which was her third album, Miss E So Addictive, which was huge around 2001. And this was like, yeah, the big calling card. Uh, made her an international star, which is kind of fitting because it just kind of fits and weaves so many like cultural strands together. It opens with this like... Japanese guy speaking. It has, you know, some German samples in there. It's very Bowie in the late 70s, um, being all kind of arty-farty. But the most kind of dominant, like enticing element is probably that like, so like that kind of six-note Punjabi melody thing, um, which is like, I think it's played in a tabla or a tumbi or something like that. But it's based on like Bangra elements. So it's it's kind of drawing on like um, Indian... Um, culture in the UK and that kind of diaspora where they mashed up like their trad music with like 70s pop um, and that had a bit of a renaissance around this time this track might have spearheaded it a little bit but it's just like it was one of those like there's no real pigeonholes anymore um, and as a track it's so kind of out there and odd and the attitude of it is it just matches it it's like James Brown's get up or something like it's it's kind of all over the place. The, like the rhythm is kind of the melody. Um, the bass is the treble. I'm now quoting reg- regulation. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also, I think, um, the moment when Timbaland went like fully gigantic and then we're into an era where he is just so dominant. At a certain point, like I think maybe 2007 when he was putting out his own albums, he was so oversaturated and I was like waiting for that era to end. But it was all building sounded like to Timbaland. the greatest song of all time. Apologize, featuring Wonder Too Republic. Late. Oh, that was yeah. Was that two thousand seven as well? Yeah, I okay. Think that so was he went out on a high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's been quiet of late, hasn't he? But yeah, like, like when Justin Timberlake's was my love came out. What a song! And it just such a. But it felt like high art. It's yeah. this huge pop song. I considered. You know I, mean? I considered it like, for this list, but I was like. I think it's game changing in that I insist that it's game changing. It is in its way, but I don't know if I can like give it to the wider context. But yeah, my love is literally perfect. Like, and then of course yeah. his work with Nelly Furtado as well. I mean, come on, like he he had, so a, he had a good couple of years there and here as well, of course. Very yeah, very distinctive style. Like it did feel like for a few years it was Neptune's Timbaland and like Kanye. I, I guess really just, thought you were going to say it just fell for years. <laughs> it's Timbaland's world, and we're just living in it, mate. <laughs> 
A little bit. Um, your Timberlands, your Pharrells. I'm glad it's over, but it was good while it lasted. Yeah, I mean, what was it? Remember his solo album what was it called Shock Value or something? Shock Value, yeah, yeah. yeah. He did the Chris what Cornell the, record that wasn't great as well. I always remember that video where it was like him in a car park and he had like Nicole Scherzinger. That was his solo single, wasn't it? Uh, like all in masks. Maybe. I can't remember. He did some stuff with Kerry uh, Hilson as well, of course. And The Hives, he, I want to say. Know, yeah. He, do you know what happened, right? He would occasionally pop up in like the music videos. Like he's in Crimey River and stuff and and he that's grand, but he just increasingly was in more and more of the music videos. And I think you could probably chart like the quality of the music kind of going down <laughs> as his <laughs> screen time went yeah, up yeah. and he just kind of lost it. He yeah. got high on his own supply, I think, too. He did. But it's yeah. weird though, because it just felt like he was like people were just like one day were like, fuck that guy. And it's like, oh, come on, he's responsible for a lot of good music too. <laughs> like great yeah. music. And yeah, Missy Elliott rules. I think so good. I think the song just did a number on me at the time and I was kind of like, I didn't quite get it. It took me a while to get it. Again, I was very much in my kind of angsty teenager phase where like some great song was just passed me by because I was just not fucking I was just too ignorant really. And then eventually I was like, wait a minute, this is like unbelievable like <laughs> i don't know how as you say yeah how is it doing she's all these so things great she's incredible well. she's i think she probably doesn't get her dues no, like she she's, no um she's in that for me like lauren hill bracket of just again changing the hip-hop game as a female artist and yeah incredible really good i love this song so number two for me um a track that defied genre conventions uh to the point that it was actual news and very much the birth of a very modern pop culture icon i would say to get some Trent in there, right, Dave? Yeah, that's the thing, man. i gotta got to get my boys Trent and Atticus in here, don't I? Um, we've got a very upset Sonic Architect, but we also <laughs> have the, uh, the debut of Lil Nas X. It's Old Town Road remix, Billy Ray Cyrus, of course, in there. Now, Adam, listen, I don't love this song. Um, I recognise Adam is shaking his head. He's not having it. Um, but I recognise the impact. I recognise the influence. And, like, dude, you didn't work in a fucking office where this came on... <laughs> As some kind of weird default mechanism 19 times a day to the point where like everyone would just fucking groan when it would happen. Um, but this was genuinely game changing. Uh, it charted on the Billboard Hot Country charts, I believe, simultaneously charging on their Hot R&B chart. And then Billboard stepped in and were like, no, no, this doesn't have enough country elements. We got to get rid of it. People were like, well, yeah. that's fucking racist because it was um and he was on course to like top the country charts and it really did feel like big country stepped in and we're like we're not having this flamboyant queer yeah, not black the band man. big country from i believe scotland <laughs> no, sorry <laughs> no, I mean, like big tobacco <laughs> that would have been wild yeah but little nas x i mean i guess was probably like very threatening to to a certain segment of america not to be too generalizing here but like um and in fairness it worked in in his favor like i mean like it led to like like again, like I, I don't use the word icon lightly here. I mean, we reviewed Lil Nas X's album last year, I believe, and we yeah. liked it, didn't love it, but I do think it was the best record that Lil Nas X could have made in that regard. I'm still not fully convinced, and this song, you know, I share Adam's kind of you know 
skepticism of it because I don't think it's great, but I do think it's a moment and I do think it was, you know, it's innovative and it's different and, you know, he came up through TikTok and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it was the announcement of a very modern star, like 100%. And I think, yeah. you know, it was like, it was just a little, like it was, it, it was everywhere. Like this was like, like <laughs> I must have read about it so often before I heard it. And then when I finally heard it, I was like, what the fuck is this? So yeah. And like, I think it is a pop song. I think that makes it a pop song. I, I think that like, it, like if you transcend to that level and you become such a, like with one track, which is just so throwaway in its way, but also, and like, I don't love it, but I think there is kind of a genius to it. Like it is, you know, it is bizarre in all the elements that are involved not least yeah. billy ray cyrus like what are we doing it's so kind of slapdash that that's kind of part of its charm like there's something a bit undeniable it sounds about like, it. like i don't love it, but, but i don't think yeah. it is like i think it is sincere you know i think it's just his attitude of just like there's a carefree thing to to him which is like i guess a large part of good creativity yeah like i don't think he's an artist maybe for our generation or something like there's stuff like i don't know there's stuff about his approach to the world that I don't quite get. I think maybe it's a slightly different generation, but I'm glad he's out there doing his thing. I did see he tweeted this week or last week that um, the song Montero had passed this out finally in terms of streams. And he was like, see, I'm not a one-hit wonder, um, which I think was a nice moment from. I'm, I'm a bit surprised that it has. But there was yeah. loads of different versions of this, so maybe that kind of changes things. I don't know, but maybe. definitely not a one-hit wonder at this point. No, and Montero's a good song. Like, you know, and the album has yeah. has a lot of good stuff on it. I mean, like, I think for an artist that kind of emerged as something of a quote-unquote joke, I think they very quickly turned the tables on the people kind of criticizing and then ultimately has absolute, like, total, like, total legitimacy and validity in the world of music. And I agree with you, yeah, very much a generational thing, but, you know... I've heard a lot fucking worse, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It looks, I love how much it looks like Adam is sulking, just like... <laughs> on his phone, crossed, on his phone, yeah, away phone, from the laptop. His nails. <laughs> Adam, why He's do you hate smiling. the song so sulking. much? Can you let us know, possibly? He's taking a big drink of water. Are you going to put this audio... Like Adam is taking a big drink of water himself. Are you going to put this audio in? <laughs> no, I'm not. He's not going to put the audio in, okay. He says it, it fucking, fucking sucks. sucks and he... He hates it so much. It's he's like comparing it to Tones to and Eyes Dance Monkey, which I, which I, I, I like that. I, I can't go with you on that one. Like that is a legitimate song that makes me want to just like scratch my fingers off the nearest blackboard forever and just like break everything inside. I think, look, Old Town Road, I find it irritating. And it did get to a stage where it was genuinely like triggering me to get up and walk out of my fucking office because I was like, if this comes on again, but it's got merit. And I'm sure Craig's next pick yeah, has merit too. Change the game. Um, it certainly does. I'm going for a big switch up in terms of my list. I'm going from 2001 to 2002. <laughs> the 70s. <laughs> I don't care what they say. I'm not about to pay nobody's way. Cause it's all about the dog in me. It's Sugar Babes, it's Freak Like Me. Um, I think with this and like maybe some slightly earlier Kylie moves, this is like the case for European kind of optimism starting here. Um, I think it's another example of like a song that if it arrived today, it would still maybe blow people away. Maybe excluding like Telstar from that. But yeah, it's it's a game changer despite being a cover that's like laid over like an old synth classic. Um, and maybe, I guess, because of that, it was 
basically welcome to the the mashup, Dave. Mashup culture was massive. Welcome for to the mashup, Dave. <laughs> 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 so this was Richard X being the producer behind this. Um, he was produced and is a producer from like Lancashire or something like that, and a bit of an underground DJ. He'd been playing this bootleg mashup that he'd done of the song Freak Like Me, which was um, a mid-90s song from Adina Howard, which was a bit of a hit in the US. And he'd mashed it up with our friends Electric, of course, by Gary Newman and the Chubay Army. And playing it, it became like a bit of a kind of underground dance hit. He wanted to release it commercially, so he went to Adina Howard and she was like, you can't use my vocals. And I don't like this. So he got on to the Sugar Babes and like their management and they were like, okay, we need to switch things up. And they just I think, sacked the Irish member, sadly, who's now back in the fold, Siobhan Donaghy. Um, they were switching things up. They wanted something a bit kind of grungy and a bit darker that would um, completely revamp the aesthetic of what they were doing and how. This is so, so good. It's just massive sounding. They fit and work so beautifully together. The video was great. Um, it still seems a bit weird how the mashup thing ran. It was just everywhere for about maybe at most a year, right? Like I, I remember Milkshake being played. Like you couldn't hear the original version of Khalees' Milkshake on Irish radio because it was just a version that had Billie Jean under it for like weeks. Um Probably was capped off by the Grey album, right? Danger Mouse doing the the Jay-Z mashup with the Beatles. Um, And yeah, it didn't have much legs, but Jesus, this song just completely transcended it. And I think actually this song's legacy was making UK pop a bit more daring. I think you get into, I mean, you're only kind of a few months on from then sounding underground. So obviously that wasn't too influenced by it, but it did kind of set the stage for more daring sounds, um, blurring of kind of lines, not blurred lines, the song, of course. But um, it just, it, do you know what? It was actually, it was at a moment where things, I think, flipped a bit, where pop music became the daring medium and all the risks were being taken there. And on the rock side of things, as much as I loved some of those bands, it was so kind of Nova, conservative, so right? Nova, there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do you, like, do you know what I mean? It just felt actually it was looking backwards, and pop was doing different kind of stuff. And then you get to a point where you've like Xenomania and those kind of pop production outfits being enlisted by the likes of Franz Ferdinand who want to be really creative. So they need to get in the pop people. And that was totally different. And yeah, I don't know. I could go on internet culture, MP trees, <laughs> the iPod. I don't know. It's a great song. <laughs> it is a great song. I think I picked it for a top five before. I can't remember what one it was though. You d- yeah, I felt like you did. But um, it's a perfect. A, it's a, a perfect. Fresh oh, hundred percent. It's a perfect song. It's wonderful. Sugar Babes, arguably underrated, if anything. Um, yeah, I mean, the more we talk about it, now, like that kind of like two thousands run was really exciting in the UK charts. Like it was. It's. It's. I hate to sound like an old man, but like it's. <laughs> it's not what it is now. You know, like it's. It's. It's no. very dull dishwater stuff these days. Generally, I think. And yeah, maybe pop had the fucking edge, certainly with tracks like this. And at a time when, yeah, sorry, just as you were to your previous point of being like, where would you hear Believe or where would you hear any new songs? Like this was still a moment where 
you know, older people would hear these big songs. It was just like, your, your granny would know this song, which is kind of just adds to the subversive coolness of a Different time. Um, different time. Going back a lot further, though, for my number one, um, if you if you cast aside obvious shouts, like, for example, like, you know, like hardcore bands or metal machine music, and you keep it within the realms of conventionality, I suppose, and the kind of thing that, yeah, your gran might listen to, I think that this is probably at least certainly in terms of the success that would follow um, and the legacy that it has. Is it the ultimate challenge of radio convention? It might be. Here's my number one. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the bandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me. Galileo, Galileo, Galileo Figaro. Magnifico! Number one with a bullet, number one in my heart, Craig. It's Queen, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. Doesn't need any, any other introduction, probably not. Um, I mean, it's just that good, right? And of course, the big famous backstory about the song was that like people were like, it's too long, it's too wild, it's crazy, yeah. no one will ever play it, never going to happen. But the band stuck to their guns, and if the Rami Malek film taught me anything, it's that it's a terrible film. Uh, Freddie Mercury <laughs> intended this to be a mock opera, something outside the norm of rock songs. Um, it does follow operatic logic, it says here, and it sure does. The emotion's excessive, the plot confusing. The plot is confusing. Uh, this shouldn't work, right? This should be the ultimate in, like, scenes being stitched together. Where's the chorus? Where's fucking, you know, the, the structure, the yada yada? But, like, God, I just never get tired of it. It's not a go-to in that, like, it comes to you, probably. But, like, I was in a pub there a couple of weeks ago, and it came on and like, it still stops me in my tracks. Like, I'm just like, how is this song still? Because it's kind of one of those ones when you kind of just like sink back into it and just like actually shut off the world for like all six minutes of this or whatever. And you're like... It's an event whenever it, it is, plays. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And it's so audacious and it's perfect. It's, 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 it's re- like it keeps threatening to just fucking collapse and it should, but it doesn't. And I don't know how... That's magic. It's absolute magic. It's a kind of magic. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's flawless. I mean, like, like what else can you say? Like, like it's it's worthy of its reputation. It's perfect. It's mental. It it's it baffles me, and you know it compels me nonetheless. And the world, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big queen head, but um, that's what they call themselves. This queen is, heads, is it? The queen heads. Yeah, queen heads. Um, but I love this. I d- how does it work? Well, it works because it's like the writing is of an immense standard, it's great quality, but also because they're so emphatic, led by Freddie Mercury. They just believe it and they sell it. And there's no doubt. Like them recording it, they're not thinking this is ludicrous. Or maybe they are. And they're like, this is ludicrous. And I <laughs> love it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So great. Reminds me of Wayne's World, of course. Of course. Love that all the time and yeah just instant smile on my face and yeah uh, yeah, a game changer I mean nothing about it should work too long it kind of pioneered music videos to an extent as well I mean it ticks a lot of boxes Dave I think it's a good number one yes it is thank you very much what's yours you are welcome my number one is from the 1990s um, turning the clock back a decade leaving the 2000s behind um, to a time when Britpop dominated 
And again, I loved a good amount of it, but it, you know, was a bit of a musical cul-de-sac. Um, quickly became a bit inbred and boring. Uh, the real legacy from UK pop in the 1990s was, you, you, you looked to your prodigies, your, your Roonies, your, yeah, your Ronaldo's. <laughs> I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna go for a starter because we just talk about them so much, and that song in particular, and you know the likes of Breed as well. Um, you had UK Garage, but my favourite genre that had some legacy from that was trip hop, and this is its heavenly calling card. Here we go. Oh, yeah. so beautiful. Massive Attack, it's Unfinished Sympathy. Um, they were known as Massive when they put it out because of the Gulf War, I believe. They couldn't use Attack, which is, you know, I don't know, some things never change. They, but they've also just cancelled um, their Primavera slot, which I'm upset about. One of their members, yeah. A, they not, not a serious the, illness yeah, or something. In recovery, yeah. though, I think, so hopefully everything is oh, okay. Oh, good, there. okay. I didn't catch that, yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. Mm. But what an incredible group. Mm. Um, 3D, Mushroom, Daddy G, and obviously the key member in this regard, being uh, Sharon Elson, who had the initial idea for the song. It was a song she was working on called Kiss and Hell, I believe. And the producer, Johnny Dollar, heard her like singing it to herself when they were kind of working together and obviously saw a huge amount of potential in it. And they started working on it and like jamming on it. And they came up with this. <laughs> and the initial versions had synthetic strings, which they kind of rightly agreed were a bit kind of cheap sounding and didn't do the song Justice, so they just got like really ambitious and created this symphony that is steeped though in kind of b-boy stuff and the chill of trip-hop and it's such a, an incredible amalgamation of styles. It's got that brooding kind of melancholy but it's also soaring and hopeful in its way. The music video as well where she's just like strutting down the street. It's like a kind of more positive beatific version of you know Richard Ashcroft a few years later just bumping into people. Um there was probably some inspiration there. There was a lot of inspiration from this, I think. It changed the game. Um, the strings, as it would happen, it cost them uh, their car. So basically, they were like, okay, we need to get in a string section um, and record this in Abbey Road. But they later admitted that they hadn't taken the cost of like the orchestra into account <laughs> until, until like when they were planning to budget for the recording blue lines. So they had to sell their like Mitsubishi Shogun <laughs> to finance <laughs> it, which, you know, probably paid off. But I just love that kind of little tidbit. They're just like a really, you know, the underdog story, this Bristol outfit that were doing their own thing and starting their own genre. And it just explodes from this point. And you've got... Portishead following in its wake where, you know, you've got dummy soundtracking like dinner parties and Tricky, of course, doing immense stuff. That whole sound across the Atlantic still kind of reverberates today. It's actually, feels like it's come back in fashion a bit and there's a lot of trip-hoppy things around at the moment. I love that sound. It's hypnotic. It's incredible. And this is just one of the best songs of all time, I think. Oh yeah, no argument here. And in fairness, they have a couple of those. I, I do think yes, they do yeah. truly that like obviously you know everyone will go to teardrop as well, as, and they were as they should. But I do think that Angel is like you can make an argument for Angel to be in like the top ten songs of all time. Like it's that good. 
Um, I may have picked for a top five before. I'm sure I did. If I didn't, I will. Spoiler. But like, fuck, man, if you stop and Unfinished Sympathy here has the same effect. It's transcendent. I used that word already earlier on, but like this is truly uh, next level, otherworldly, takes you to a different place. There's something about it. It's intoxicating. What a pick. What a great choice. And the one thing it has going for it that Angel doesn't is that, and I think we've talked about it on the show before, that Tina Turner and Bruce Willis <laughs> duetted on it live on stage. And I forgot to take the clip. But oh, just YouTube oh, that. It, it's, it's incredible. Wild. It's wild. It's wild. I'm sure it's Sonic Architect Adam, uh, Architect Adam can, can rustle something up for the, for the listener to enjoy. Air quotes on the word enjoy very much so. Because, good Lord, was that diabolical. I miss you, But what wasn't diabolical was this top five. I think it was pretty strong. Uh, I think we made some good game-changing cases. I loved your choices as well. And in fact, Craig, you know what? Your choices were so good, I'm going to let you have that holiday. You can take next week off. You've convinced me. Thanks, man. (laughs) Where do you think you might go? Or is it all, you gone off the grid? Um, I don't know. Budapest. Hmm? Budapest, you say? I don't know. No, maybe Seville. I, I'm tr- I'm trying to chase the sun, but I don't want to go too far. Chase the I'm sun. I'm now getting into. <laughs> I'm gonna, getting go back to the darts. Weird album titles. <laughs> well, you know, we could go to the darts, or we could stay here and talk about music, or we could do whatever. But someone who always, in my opinion, scores a 180 on the dartboard of our hearts. Hey, it's Sonic Architect Adam. He's with us from Denmark, of course. What a man, man, myth, legend, and don't forget to check out his new episode of Before the Encore, which drops shortly after this one. Zara Hedeman is his guest. It's an hour and a half it's long. A big one. And if you like long podcasts, no popcorn, as noted. Music and movies, best and worst of 2021. Three hours long almost, out now in your podcast feed. Greg's off next week. I'll be here. And we'll be talking about music once again. So uh, without further ado, my name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.